Well, we are continuing our series into First Peter, and just to give you a little bit of an idea of where we're going, because you may be thinking, okay, we're done with Thanksgiving. Uh, you even come in, we playing Christmas songs. Maybe by next week we'll have, a, I don't know, maybe some Christmas lights, but we always have Christmas lights if you consider these like Christmas lights, right? So you may be wondering, well, are we going to do something along the lines of Christmas? And certainly we are. We're going to finish up First Peter next Sunday. Uh, December 2nd, and then on December 9th, we're going to start a short series uh, just for Christmas along the lines of worshiping the King. And so uh, Luke's going to kick us off on that series, uh, talking about some some worship, and then we'll follow up with a couple more examples in the Bible of worshiping Christ and what that looks like. So that's what we're going to do for Christmas this year, and uh, looking forward to that time. I'm sure already some of you have all your trees up, or you're thinking about where your trees are going to go, and then you're thinking about Christmas presents and all that. But uh, hopefully, you can focus in on God's Word this morning. You can get the BSU game out of your mind. They won last night, so you don't have to worry about that. Or the games that might be going on right now. I understand there probably are a few of those happening as well. But let's focus in on what God has to say as we go into 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, this is one of those passages that for me, I have read and looked at for many years because it speaks directly to my position, my role as a shepherd, as a pastor, as an elder in a church. And so as I look at it, it's kind of funny to come up and preach a message like this about your own role, but I think it's, it's valuable for you to hear a little bit of, of my perspective on this role. And so I hope this morning, I, there's not a lot of, I, I hate to say bells and whistles, you know, like illustrations and things like that to go, to go with, but I hope what you hear this morning isn't all of all, any of that, but rather just kind of my heart on this passage. Because that's what I want to do is just kind of lay it out there and let you know these are the convictions that over the last 20 years of being in ministry, God has laid on my heart as far as what it looks like to be a shepherd and a pastor in a church. So I hope you hear that, and I hope that you get some understanding of this scripture, because it is a powerful passage, and I think there's a lot that both you and I can get out of it. But just as a reminder of where we are, 1 Peter 2.9 is our key verse as we go into this series, recruited out of our mess to make him known, you are a chosen race, right? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And maybe by now you've almost got that memorized because we've said it enough. And if you memorize it, great. First Peter 2.9, you have been called out of your messy situation to go out and, and make him known. It's a great passage to remember and encourage yourself and others around you as time goes by. So here's a few of the things we've talked about. One, we've been recruited out of our mess to be his people. Okay, that's what that verse talks about at the beginning, chosen and selected by him, to be his people. Right? Secondly, we've talked about how we're recruited to make him known with a God-like conduct. And there the idea in Scripture is that we're, we're called to be holy or set apart. Like God is holy, we should be his, his children, set apart, different from the world. So when people see us, they see some of God. Not God, because we're not God, but at least his character in us, being lived out. And then we're recruited to make him known to everyone and in every circumstance. Now that's the portion of scripture we spent probably the most time on. We're recruited to make him known to everyone and in every circumstance, even the bad ones. And today we're going to go into this portion of First Peter where we are recruited to make him known with the help of church leaders. 
Now, somewhere along the line, you've probably ran across a person, and maybe you've thought this yourself. Maybe you've ran across a person who have said, you know what, why do I need to go to church? Why not just take my Bible, go up to the top of a mountain and pray and read my Bible there, and I will be closer to God. Because we're at the top of a mountain, right? I'll be closer to God there than I would be anywhere else. So I'll just go do that. Why in the world do I need the church? And so I think that's a, a good question, and if you've never really wrestled with that, hopefully you'll wrestle with that this morning, and maybe you even have an answer for a person who would say that. And one of the things I think that's clear all throughout Scripture is that God has a plan and a purpose for His church. There are things written about the church, like the church is His bride. He loves the church. He presents the church to God the Father as, as something radiant and blameless and wonderful. He loves the church. He's called the church to take his gospel, his good news, and spread it out into into the world. He's given some orders and some direction for the church to go out and make disciples. This is what he's asked the church to do. And, And I'm convinced... And you can have a little debate with me if you want afterwards. But, but I'm convinced that if you claim to love Jesus Christ, if you claim to love Jesus Christ, you cannot avoid or ignore the church, his body. You can't do it. Because that is what he says he loves. He loves the church. Another thing that also you need to keep in mind of, if you're here to criticize the church and you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you're criticizing yourself. Because you are part of the church, if you're a believer in Christ. Oftentimes we think of the church as just an organization, but the church is the body of Christ. The hands, the feet, the nose, the mouth. Every person makes up the body, universally and locally. And so we are all the church, right? You start to criticize the church, then you're criticizing yourself, and you're criticizing the body of Christ. And we ought to take that pretty seriously. So in the church, God has established leaders, And as you look at some of those leaders, I'm sure over the years, you've probably thought to yourself, man, those leaders, I don't know if they're really the people that God put in those positions or if they're doing what God wants them to do. And there's always criticism, you know, towards people in the church and the leaders of the church. So is this statement really true that we're recruited to make him known with the help of church leaders? Well, I hope it's true. And I hope that's what you find here at Involved Church. So that's a little bit of the direction we're going. Now, I want to ask this question as kind of a lead-in. In this do-it-yourself world that we live in, do we really need pastors and elders? Hey, in this do-it-yourself, everything, you know. Hey, we could just go on YouTube and find out what's a pastor, what's a pastor supposed to do, or listen to a pastor, all those kind of things, right? Why, why do we need a pastor or elder? We have books out there. We have commentaries out there. We have Google out there. We have churches with websites out there that we could just go and plug into. We have so many resources. Do we really need pastors and elders, local ones? And so you may be getting the feeling like, oh, this is a, uh, one of those messages where you're here to justify the reason you exist, right? But I think there's a reason God has pastors and elders in place. Now, to kind of clarify, what is a pastor and an elder? And as you look through Scripture, you see pastors, shepherds, elders, uh, overseers used. Various translations have different terms that they put in there. I think all throughout Scripture, those, those terms can be uh, interchanged, But today in our culture, I think this is the way we kind of see how how they're defined a little differently. 
pastor typically, today in our culture, and there's no biblical support for this. This is just the way you see it in our culture. Typically, pastors are those who are on staff or in a paid position. When somebody says, oh, that's the pastor, that's a pastor at the church, he's typically on staff. Now, it could be a paid position or it could be a part-time volunteer position or something like that, but typically they're on staff of some kind. And then elders are the, the leadership team that are typically more volunteer, and the pastors are also typically elders. Sometimes you have maybe a, a youth pastor, a children's pastor, or something like that who may not be on the elder board, so there's exceptions in that. But typically they're elders and pastors together in our day and age, in our culture. So I think when I use, when I use pastors and elders, that's typically what probably is already in your mind. So I do put that out there, that do we really need both paid position pastors and volunteer elders-type pastors in the church. So be thinking about that. Do we really need them? We're in our do-it-yourself age, and, uh, and we have all those resources. Why do we have those guys? Well, here's, I think, one answer. One, real people with real needs need real servants and real examples. Okay, now, if you're a real person, hopefully you are, I know you're thinking about that for a while. Am I a real person? Let me see. No, if you're a real person, you probably have real needs. And therefore, you need a real servant, someone who can tangibly be there with a real example lived out in front of you. And that's what you get with a local church, a body of believers who are part of a church body who come together to serve and honor God together and serve and love each other. Real people with real needs need real servants and real examples. So why do we have shepherds? First Peter 5, 1 through 5, that's what we're going to take a look at as we move forward into our passage this morning. Here's what it starts with. I exhort the elders. Okay? Now this word in, in the Greek, in the original language, exhort, is kind of the word of, of strongly encouraging, uh, pointing out things that, that need to be addressed. I get the picture... Uh, of a coach coaching basketball running up and down the sideline. They can only go half court, but, but they run all the way, and they're yelling at their players. In one sense, it feels like they're you know, cheering, cheering them on like a cheerleader, but on the other sense, it, still, it feels like they're yelling at them, screaming at them, you know, do this right, do this. You know, and they're always coaching them. And now there's some coaches that are like that. I know there's some that aren't. But you've probably seen one of those coaches, just constantly running up and down, yelling at their players. That's kind of the idea I see here with Peter. It's that you're going along with the other elders. He's saying, hey, I'm coming along with you, and I am, I'm speaking to you. I'm encouraging you to, to teach and guide and shepherd in a certain way. So he says, I exhort the elders, and he uses the word plural, and there's been some debate over the years. Is, is the church need multiple elders or one elder? And, and really, if you look at the debate, this is, I think, the conclusion that I've come to over the years. In Scripture, there's nothing that declares that a church has to have more than one elder, and there's nothing that requires you to have less, um, more elders and less elders. So basically, it's open, put it that way. Okay? So you can have one elder or you can have multiple elders. Now, I think if you have multiple elders, you should have more people who serve and care for the church, which I think could be a healthy situation. So he goes on, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, as one who has been there and is there. And, and here's where he kind of pulls out his, 
apostle card. He says, as a witness to the suffering of Christ. Peter was the one who was, was discipled with Christ, one of the twelve. He saw Christ be arrested. He saw Christ go to trial. He saw Christ be crucified on the cross. He then saw Christ's risen body. He walked with them, and he was handed basically the keys to, to the gospel, and he said, here, take the gospel out. Peter was one of those original guys. He says, I'm a witness to the suffering of Christ. I'm a witness to the life of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory that's to be revealed. And one of the things you see throughout the New Testament, a lot of the New Testament writers, is as they talked about Christ coming back, they often talked about it coming back very quickly. And I think in Peter's mind, you can go to Acts chapter 1 where they talk about Jesus going up and, and he's, he's ascending up into heaven and the disciples are standing there like, when are you going to come back? And they're expecting him to come back at any moment. Paul believed he was going to come back. In his earlier writings, he talks a lot about him coming back. And then as time goes by, in Second Peter, you also see this, as time goes by, they start to realize maybe they won't see them, won't see Christ return in their lifetime. And so in 2 Peter, Peter writes to his audience and he says, hey, we need to be patient about Christ's return. But here it sounds like I'm going to share in, in, in when he's going to be revealed, and it's true. Whether he dies before Christ's come back, which he did, or whether Christ were to show up right now, we all are going to share in this, this great, glorious time when Christ is revealed upon the earth. And there's even some other teachings that go along with this about how we'll rule with him. How we'll worship him. I mean, it's going to be a glorious time. And so he appeals to the other elders to say, hey, I am an elder, I am an apostle, and I am one who's going to uh, one day be sharing this glory with, with Jesus Christ. So because of all of this, that's his introduction into it, because of all of this, here's what I'd like to get across to you. Here's my command. Shepherd God's flock among you. Now, when you look at that word shepherd, um, it's, it's basically what it sounds like, one who herds sheep. And he goes, and he's even more particular, he says it's one who is, is herding God's flock, God's sheep. Not your own sheep, but God's sheep. Now, there's a couple things about a shepherd. We don't have a lot of shepherds that you probably know today. Anybody here know a shepherd? Yeah, okay. So we don't have a lot of uh, experience in that area. So we have to go back a little bit and, and see what he's talking about. If we go back 2,000 years ago, you go into the time of, uh, of Jesus when he was walking upon the earth. You have shepherds that would take groups of sheep and they would move them around from place to place and they would look for green grass, water, and a place that would, would give some kind of bedding at night so they could sleep. And that was one of the roles of the shepherd was to go and find those places to move the sheep so that the sheep always had something to graze on and, and water and those types of things. That's one thing. The second thing the shepherd did was protect the sheep because you always had predators out there. You always have lions, you have bears, you have other things that are going to come in and want to eat the sheep. And so the, the, the shepherd was really doing those two things, leading and guiding the sheep around to give them a place to to eat, sleep, and get water. And then the other was to protect them. Now, if I were to come to all of you and say, you know what, this, this is what a pastor does. A pastor, the elders, they, they help guide you, and they help teach you, and they help lead you along through life. You know, I'll be like, yeah, that's, that's true. That's great. We accept that. There's no problem with that. But if I were to take a survey out there, 
because we will not do this by raising hands. So, But if I were to take a survey out there, give you a piece of paper and say, do you think it's the shepherd's job, the elder's job to help protect you? Many of you might be like, why do I need to be protected? What do I need to be protected from? And you might be like, I don't think that's their job. I protect myself, right? Because I think in our day and age, and certainly in our culture of individualism here in America, we kind of rise up and we say, I don't need anybody's help when it comes to protecting myself. And so this idea, this concept of a, of a shepherd speaking some sort of correction into our life is oftentimes not welcomed in our individual life, right? I have a lot of blank stares. But it's true. I think it's true for all of us. But yet, we're called as leaders of God's church to shepherd his flock and to point out at times in life when things are coming towards somebody and and to give warning and to say, hey, you're going down a direction that that may lead you away from God. You need to understand that there's temptation there. You need to understand that we're going to go into the passage next week, uh, that that the devil is there, Satan is there, he's waiting like a roaring lion, ready to devour. You need to see those warning signs. And hopefully the leadership of the church is there to help you see those. So he says, shepherd God's flock, and then he goes into some knots and some buts. Okay, look at what he has to say. Not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. And not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. He gives us three comparisons there, so I'll put them in a table for you. Maybe you help, help see it that way if you just kind of drop them side by side. When you think of shepherding, you've got some knots and you've got some butts. So the first one you see is that a shepherd is not called to shepherd under compulsion. Now, one who is being paid on staff, it's easy to say, yeah, I can see how that would happen. Guy starts working at a church, starts getting paid. Ten years goes by, maybe he's lost his love for being a pastor, but that's the job. He's got a salary, he's got family, he's got bills. So he just goes ahead and he continues on. And you can see how some people would get into a, a situation where they're like, well, let's, I'll just do it. I'll just go through my life so I can pay my bills. And so I think it's a call for anybody who is in it vocationally to say, hey, no, we need to make sure our heart's always in check, that we're shepherding, we're guiding, we're leading the church because it's what God wants us to do. And certainly, it's one thing as a, as a church that's hoping and, and doing already, preparing other people for leadership, this is one of the questions that I'm pretty sure I annoy a lot of future leaders and residents with. Are you making sure this is what God wants you to do? It's a question I'll ask quite often. Are you sure this is what God wants you to do? Because I want them to stand with conviction. This is what I believe God wants me to do. Not under compulsion, but because they truly believe that's the way God's working in their life. Now, as a person who is a volunteer, let's say, okay, that's a person who's being paid. What about people who are volunteered? Well, people who are volunteering in leadership can also do it under compulsion or be forced into it or on obligation. 
The church can come and say, hey, we've got this big hole, and we think that you would feel it really well, and so would you go ahead and come in and, and, and fill this position? And, and then you start talking them into it, twisting their arm a little bit, promise them in a new car. I don't know, something like that. But, you know, you, you, you try to talk them into that, but then they're fighting it along the way, and they finally just say, okay, yeah, fine, I'll do it. Or they get in a position, and they're really they're just like, I don't think God really wants me here, and they're wrestling with it. He's saying, put your heart in check. Make sure you're serving for the right reason because it's what God wants you to do, not under compulsion. The next one we see is that he says, shepherding should not happen for selfish gain. Now, in this translation, in a lot of translations, it, it equates this idea with, with money. Like, don't do it just to get paid. And certainly that, that can be a temptation for anybody who's in ministry or anybody who's leading. If there's money involved, that we just do it for money purposes. But I think the concept is actually bigger than that. If you look at the original language, it's just for your own personal gain is what he's talking about. It says don't do it for gain. So if it's for money, if it's for a title, if it's for power and authority, for status or something like that, he says that should not be why you step into leadership in a church. Don't do it for selfish gain, but instead be eager to serve. Wanting to. And seeing the need out there and saying, yeah, I can step in and I can do that. And I can do it well. And I'm going to step through whatever I need to. And I'm willing to, to take the time and, and, and put myself out there at times when it's going to be difficult. And have you know, maybe some hours at the end of the week. You're like, wow, this is, this is really hard. I've spent a lot of hours in this. But you're pouring your heart into it. And you're eagerly serving. It's important. I think leadership should be eager to serve. Jesus talked about that when he walked upon the earth. Right? He talked about that with his, his disciples. The disciples, I think, were thinking more politically. And that was, hey, if I get into this office, if I'm with Jesus and I'm serving with this great and mighty king, all of a sudden we'll have all these people serving us. And Jesus, time and time again, would tell them, hey, guys, it's not about having people serve you. It's about you serving people. And he would constantly challenge them. Leaders need to be servants. Need to be eager to serve. So that's what we should find within our, our leadership. That's what you should find with, with me. That's what you should find with any of the elders and leadership team here at Involved Church is that we're, we're wanting to serve. Now, there are times... Well, we may not be able to, but hopefully you'll find a team that wants to serve and is eager to serve. The, the, the third one, shepherding is not this. It's not overpowering people. Uh, some, some texts say lording it over others. You're in a position where you can start to, to go ahead and, 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 and tell people what to do and have power and exercise authority over people. He says, that's not what it's all about. Now, I gave you an illustration at the beginning where you could be like a coach on the sideline, and, and certainly I think Peter was like this because he was farther away and he was talking to elders in, at a far distance. But in a local setting, when you're in a church and you're in a position where you're actually there with the people face-to-face, -face, this is challenging us to actually step in to the game and play the game, so to speak, with the other people around us. 
We're not supposed to be standing on the sidelines and saying, hey, go do this and go do that, and I'll just sit down here in my lazy chair. That's not what an eldership or pastor or people in leadership are supposed to do. Instead, they should be out there eager to receive, eager to serve and living as examples. And I think this is the part that probably hits me the hardest is this whole idea of, of living as an example. There's a lot of things talked about in Scripture about how we should live our lives out in front of other people. In fact, I'll read one for, for you. Same context as talking to, to leaders, overseers, uh, pastors out of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And here's what Paul does. Paul writes this, this letter to Timothy, and he goes through what it looks like to live out an example in that day and age. He says, It's a trustworthy statement. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. And listen to what he says. The husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders, so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. He gives a list there of all the different things you would hope to find in leadership. Here's the example. Follow that person. Now, probably, maybe this is the reason why this one um, hits me as hard as it does. When I think about leading and being an example, I know that I'm up here teaching on a regular basis, and I'm, I'm challenging people in their walk to, to pursue Christ more or to give things up in the world, and I'm constantly wrestling with that myself. So I'm asking myself, okay, when I present this, am I challenging my own life, my own heart? Am I challenging myself? And it's often, it's kind of a joke, anybody who, uh, I don't know if it's a joke, but we, we find it humorous, I guess. Anybody who, who tends to teach on a Sunday morning will talk about how when you preach a message, either right before that message or right after that message, you're going to be challenged with the, whatever you preached. And you're going to find out, hey, I've got to live this out. It's tough. Got to be that example. But that's what we should find in our leadership living out what they teach. So early on, um, when I was 19, started uh, getting my, my full-time job, my full paycheck. I was you know, working as a, as a youth pastor at the time, and I had a decision to make at that time, and that was, should I give to the church as a pastor? I'm being paid by the church. Do I give to the church? And some of the things that really convicted me, one is, well, God's word says it, so I should obey it. Regardless, he doesn't say, here's the exception for this person. God's word says it, so I obey it. He says, give, so okay, I'll give. And then the second thing that really hit me, maybe even harder than that, was if I ever get in a position like I'm in today, and I'm preaching and teaching on giving and tithing, if I don't give and tithe, I don't think I could ever preach on it. How could I be an example? How can I go out there and say, hey, all you guys need to, to give to the church and obey God, but I myself, I don't need to do that. That would be wrong. And so that was a conviction I had, certainly back then, you know, when I was 19, I said, you know, I need to start giving because, one, obedience, and two, I need to live as an example. 
And so those are things that over the years I need to always be in check in my own heart, in my own life. If I'm going to teach about something, it's, you know, I've got to be an example. Now, I'm not perfect at that. And maybe there's some things you've said, you heard me say in the past and you're like, he doesn't do that. And if, if you do find that out, or if it's convicting to you, you could come and say that in a nice way, you know, in a loving, gentle way. You might point that out. Boy, pastor, it seems like you really struggle with that too. You're right, I do. And oftentimes, you'll probably hear me say that. When I was in, um, up in Seattle area, was working with a guy. I was in my, oh, I guess mid-20s, somewhere in there. And uh, it was, I was early on in ministry, and the church was starting to, to shift and start to use PowerPoint and computers and services and all that kind of stuff. And so I walked into this church, and they hadn't done that yet. And so I was, I was starting to get the church to a point where it was using PowerPoint. And it was up there, you know, in, in Microsoft land. So, of course, you got to do it, and you got to do it well. And so we start to put it all together. And the first Sunday, we're going to unveil all of this. I start to work on the computer, and, and I make a couple tweaks I don't know why. Everything was working, but I'd tweak a few things. And the computer just froze and shut down. And it came time for the service to happen. And I go to the, the pastor at the time. is like, I can't get it to come up. It's going to take me a while. I'm going to have to you know, do this and that. And there's just no way we can get it done before the service. And he was pretty ticked. And he let me know about it. Like, what? And, you know, a couple things were said. And I felt like this big... And then I have to get up and lead worship and do all that. But, you know, I go through the whole motion. And I remember thinking, man, because I was new at this job. I knew working with this guy. I was like, man, did I, did I make the right choice? Because I felt pretty small. But at the end of that, that whole service, everybody was kind of gone. And, and I, I'm sure I was walking out in the parking lot and I had, I had my head hung down a little bit. And, uh, and he, he called my attention and said, hey, Ryan, Ryan, I need to talk to you. It's like, oh, great. I'm going to get more of it, right? And he brought me over and he said, hey, I know earlier I said some things I shouldn't have said. I'm sorry for that. And it's probably the first time that I recall a, a pastor ever apologizing to me. And it went a long ways. He lived by an example. And I've told him that since. I said, you know what, that, that meant a lot. I mean, it was hard up to that point, but it really meant a lot that you, you came and apologized because I did some things wrong, you said some things that were wrong, and you know, we made up. And things were better after that. But it happened because he lived an example of what it meant to love and care for other people. That's the kind of, of leadership hopefully you find here at Evolve Church as well. People who will care for and love the, the church, the sheep, the shepherd, or the sheep that God has given us, the flock that God has given us. So those are some examples of ways that I've seen this played out in my life. I don't think you should find leaders that are overpowering. We should not be lording it over. We should be kind, gentle, caring, and loving, and living as an example. Now, verse 4, when the chief shepherd, he brings in a whole new concept now. When the chief shepherd, he's talked about shepherds in the local church. Now we've got a chief shepherd out there, and that's Jesus Christ. So he's over all the churches. He's over the universal church. 
When he appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, there's a lot of question, what is that unfading crown of glory? And there could be a time uh, when we receive a crown. And Revelation talks about how the elders, apostles, and so forth, they'll throw the crown at Jesus' feet. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe the unfading crown of glory is eternal life. Because it's unfading. It never goes away. It says, when we receive that crown of glory... Or we will receive that crown of glory when the chief shepherd appears. So keep, keep moving forward. Remember, this was a letter written to, to a ch- churches who were suffering and struggling and needed to keep moving forward. So keep focused on that. Verse 5 then, in the same way, you who are younger. Okay, now elder means mature. So one who is further along in age and spiritual maturity. Those who are younger in age, spiritual maturity. Be subject to the elders. All of you then clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility is, is really important. You're going to see that again uh, in the next few verses when we go through that, that we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. But here he talks about how we're to humble ourselves under the leadership of the church. Why? Because God has put them there. You've got the chief shepherd and you've got the leadership of the local church and we trust if, if they're doing what God wants them to do, and following what Peter has talked about here, then we trust that they are doing what God wants and we can follow them with confidence. So we subject ourselves under that leadership. But in order to do that, we have to clothe ourselves with humility. And so it goes back to a question I asked you earlier. How do you see the the elders' role in your life? Or how do you see the elders, if they, they walk in and they step into a, your life situation, and they say, you know what, there's something going on here in your life, and maybe, maybe you're walking away from God. Maybe you're falling into temptation. Maybe you're giving in to something you shouldn't be giving into. How do you receive that? Are you receiving with humility? He tells us here from the Old Testament, God resists the proud, the proud heart, the stubborn heart, but he gives grace to the humble. And he helps us take it and understand it. So a couple of challenge questions as we close. One, do elders play an important role in your life? As you look at this text, 1 Peter 5, I think it's clear in Scripture that God says there are these roles, these are these positions in life. Do elders play an important role in your life? Think about that for a moment. And the second question is, if an elder approached you with a concern about something in your life, some kind of concern, how do you think you would respond? That's a tough one, isn't it? I've had a couple people say, man, that's a hard question. Good. That's supposed to be reflective. In fact, we're going to give you two minutes uh, of time here to be thinking through how you would respond to this. What's God doing? As you read through those five verses there, and you think about the roles of shepherd elders and what God has called leadership to do, how do you respond to the leadership that God has put in place? So think about that. We're going to have a couple minutes here for you to respond, and then we'll close with some more worship after that.